Well, one of the jokes that we make around here is that uh, if you're a, an intern here for the summer, our summer ministry, your job description is doing all the things the pastor doesn't want to do. So I don't want to preach this morning, so we've asked Hunter Galley if he would. Hunter's been our intern. This is a, he's a returning intern. He did it last summer, and he's been doing it all this summer, learning about leadership and ministry. We're going to uh, give a little report on that in the church family uh, meeting here in just a little bit. But uh, kind of the final exam of the summer is to present a message to us this morning. When I was first pastor up here, somebody stole my notes. I had them up here in the pulpit, and somebody stole my notes and hid them away, and I had to come up. And I was just looking up here at Hunter's notes, and looks like some good stuff we're in for this morning. So why don't we pray for Hunter as he comes to share with us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how... Your word has been dwelling richly in Hunter, and as he's been studying your word this summer to share it with us this morning, help us to listen, not just for his voice, but for yours, to hear what you want to share with us in the pages of your holy word. Here you've given us this good gift of of the Bible, your word, God's word in our own language, and then given us the gift of preachers who will open it up and share it with us. And press it home into our lives. Lord, make us doers of the word. Not merely his listeners, hearers. But help us, Lord, to not just look into the perfect law, but also to do what it says. To not look at the mirror and then walk away, but to take it to heart. Lord, I pray that you would do that and you would give Hunter great joy and peace and confidence and and hope and boldness and uh, love for you and for us and for your word as he shares with us this morning. And I pray it in the name of Jesus, the one we're worshiping this morning, the lamb who has washed us with his blood. May he get all the glory. Amen. Well, thank you for those words, uh, Pastor Matt. Welcome. Very glad to be here. uh, I hear at Lance Free to share God's word this morning. Pastor Matt said I've been the intern here uh, last summer and this summer. I began in May, and it was a long summer. There was a lot of uh, work that needed to be done, but it was a great summer. I was so glad to be had the opportunity to serve alongside so many of you and to serve for this church. I want to give a special thanks to someone. Not many people know that, well, they all know that I was the intern, but not too many people know that I had an intern, well, unofficially. So I want to thank uh, Peter Mitchell. He spent a lot of this summer helping me out. I would call him up and you get up here and uh, help me in anything that I need to get done. So thank you for that, Peter. So one of the things that we did beginning in May was that John Forsey, Matt Mozel, and myself were part of the first ever class of Pastor Matt's teaching course, preaching course. And it was a great experience to be able to meet here every Thursday morning and to learn how to share God's Word, how to dive into the Word to understand its knowledge, and then to provide it outward for everyone else to hear. I was very grateful for those moments and what I learned. So that's what I'm hoping today is that as we go into God's word, that he would speak through me, that you wouldn't hear my own words because those are easy to forget, but that God will be speaking you today. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 32. What we're going to do is I'm going to read Psalm 32 first. And then I'm going to pray, but while I'm reading it, try to think, what is the main theme of this? Why is this in our Bible, and what are we to take away from this psalm? So 
So Psalm 32 says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess, confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord, and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Let us pray. God, I thank you for everyone who is here. I thank you that we can come here and learn about your word that can stir something in our hearts so that we might be changed and learn more about you. God, I pray right now that you would speak through me. For as much studying as I could do in this word, I can never understand it all. Only you do, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide me and guide everyone who is here into Psalm 32 so that we can take away what you want us to learn, and we can follow you. I ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, I ask you all to try to hear what the main theme of Psalm 32 is. If you saw the title of my sermon on the back of the bulletin, that might give you a special hint to what it is. But even better than this stating the theme, I think it's better just to look into the word, because verses 1 and 2 clearly clarify what Psalm 32 is about. Let's look at those verses again. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit is no deceit. Now, a nice thing about Psalm 32 is that the whole idea of the psalm is spelled out for us in those two verses. Kind of like how most books we read have an introduction, Verses 1 and 2 foreshadow what the rest of the psalm will be about, which we can see here has something to do with the idea of being blessed. This might be a word that you have heard before, and if you're like me, all you know is that it's a good thing. Maybe you know that being blessed means one who gets blessings. But why is it a good thing? Why do we want to be called blessed? Well, this chapter should hopefully clear up any misconceptions you might have on this word and tell us how we get to be blessed. And, spoiler alert, the only true way to be blessed is the Lord, which is where the title, Being Blessed in the Lord, comes from. Being Blessed in the Lord. This psalm, like many other psalms, was written by David during his time as king of Israel and was a source of worship for all the people of Israel. Now, keeping in mind that this was written by King David, try to think, why would he be revealing these expressions? 
Why would he be feeling this way? Is there anything that comes to mind as we read verses 3 and 4? 3 and 4 say, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. These are some very powerful examples how to represent how David felt while hiding a certain sin. I love how the King James Version expresses this verse 4 by saying, For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Isn't that something we all can relate to by the summer that we've been having? We know exactly how uncomfortable and unpleasant it is to be sweating like crazy when in the sun. The NIV translation is also strong by how it equivalents hiding a sin from the Lord to how we feel when we have to work out in the sun for so long that we just feel drained. And that is exactly what it feels like to be hiding a sin. Have any of you ever experienced these feelings of knowing that this thing that you do in secret is wrong and that the weight just keeps building more and more? I know I have, and it's one of the worst things to be in, knowing that you're doing the opposite of what God's word says. Now, why would David be having these feelings? He was king of Israel, after all, and was said to be a man after God's own heart. Well, there's the key. He was still just a person, and we, can, and we all succumb to sin at times. I think these verses, personally, might be how David was feeling after the events of 2 Samuel 11. If you were here with us about two years ago, you might remember hearing about 2 Samuel 11 from Pastor Matt. There was a time when David committed adultery with Bathsheba and had his good friend Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband, sent to the front lines where he was killed. That was all to keep this a secret. And it remained a secret until the prophet Nathan confronted him on this. So is this where you are today? Now, you might not be committing adultery and setting it up so your good friend is killed in battle like David did. But is there a sin that you're keeping secret from everyone? Something that you try to keep hidden? And it might be that you've hidden this really well from other people. But this sin is kind of like a closet. I don't mean a closet that hides your innermost secret, your innermost you. The Bible is clear on that, that the innermost you is your relationship with Jesus. But this closet is one like I have at home. My family already knows where I'm getting with this. This is a closet that doesn't hold secrets, but one that you just throw stuff in. My family knows my closet at home is overfilled with wrinkled up clothes, old backpacks, and who knows what else I just tossed in there. And whenever you have a closet like that, you don't want other people to see that. You don't want them to see the junk in your life. So you keep the door closed. There's a thing with this closet. There is no ceiling. And by that, I mean God already knows what you are doing. He's an omniscient God. He knows all that happens, did happen, or will happen. So he already knows that sin you're in. The one you tried to keep hidden from everyone else. If that is you today, what are you to do about this? Is there any way of escape from this weight of sin? Romans 6.23 states that the wages of sin is death. 
is there an escape? Well, the good news is that there is an escape. And it is our first point of four points of application to take with you from Psalm 32. And that is to confess your sins to the Lord. To confess your sins to the Lord. So how is this the answer? How is confessing your sins to bring relief? Well, verses, verse 5 explains that a little bit more. Where it says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And guess what? And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Isn't that great to hear? David confessed his sins to the Lord, and he forgave them. And the same thing is true for all of us. God already knows what sin you're committing. So when you're confessing your sin to God, you're not bringing any new knowledge to the Lord. He already knows. But what you are doing is agreeing with God that that act that you're doing, that you keep hidden from everybody else, is a sin. It is against God's command. And by confessing, you're also agreeing to no longer follow after that sin, but to turn and follow after the Lord. So is this where you're struggling? Are you realizing now that you've been avoiding this idea of confessing your sins? Maybe you never confessed your sins to God before. Maybe these words are encouraging you to take that step, to confess your sins to God, and to begin following him. If that's you today, I pray that you would do so. Maybe you already follow the Lord, but you've fallen into a rut. There might be a sin in your life that is keeping you from furthering your walk with God. Then this is a call to confess that to God and get back on track with him. Or maybe you feel God is convicting you to confess your sins to another person. The Bible itself encourages confessing your sins to others that follow the Lord and that you trust. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now one thing that might hold us back from the idea of confessing our sins to the Lord is fear that he won't forgive us. We might be thinking that we've gone too far to be forgiven. To be honest, I've been at that point a lot of times in my life. It's easy to view that sin you're committing is too terrible, or there's no way to recover from that. But those are lies from Satan himself. And they seem so true at times because Satan is an expert at making lies sound right. The truth is very different, for we see here in verse 5, that God forgave David of his sins. And 1 John 1, nine, which says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, confirms that this is true for us as well. So not only should we not fear God, thinking, will he forgive us or not? The answer is he will. But we should run to him and take refuge in him, which is our second point of application to take refuge in the Lord. Take refuge in the Lord. Now, let's look at verses 6 and 7 again to see why we should do this. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found, 
Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. So I think if you're like me, you might have some questions with these two verses. So I think we should break it down a little bit. In verse 6, we see the phrase, while you may be found. And you might be wondering, what does that exactly mean? It, it sounds good. Sounds like a nice phrase, right? But what does it mean? I was guilty of thinking what it meant, not having a clue. So I looked into it more. I determined it doesn't mean we need to be searching in the skies if we want to pray for God. You don't have to go outside and be looking at the sky. Oh, I see his nose. I see maybe his ear. There he is. I'll pray there. It's not true. God is not a Pokemon. We don't have to be searching after him. Those of you who play Pokemon Go, you know what I'm talking about. But what this is talking about is what Pastor Matt's message was for last week. And if you were here for that, you might remember it was titled The Real Post-Apocalyptic Scenario. He took us into the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. In these chapters, we see the new heavens and the new earth and how glorious these times will be. But one group is missing from this restoration. That group are those who are not under grace. Those who continue to engage in sin without repenting. Their place is instead the lake of eternal fire where nothing but suffering occurs. So, back to this phrase, um, while you may be found, there might be different views on what it means, but I see this clearly representing that concept. The idea that there will be a time when it will be too late to confess your sins to the Lord. There's a sense of urgency to repent your sins and to confide in the Lord's protection from the dangers of this world. It might be dangers of um, situations such as hurricanes, tornadoes, different disasters like that. It might be from someone who's out to hurt you or it could even be against that temptation of sin, to falling back to that hidden sin that you have. Now, the other question I had was at the end of verse 7, when it says, surround me with songs of deliverance. And what does that exactly mean? Another phrase right there, that sounds really good. Songs of deliverance, doesn't that sound something we want? But I think if you stop there, you don't really get how glorious it is. I want to know why we want this. And I found out that it actually refers back to Exodus 15. If you remember the story of Exodus, um, the Israelites were delivered out of Egypt by the Lord and got to the other side of the Red Sea. Remember with Moses with the staff parting the Red Sea. Once they crossed, it closed in on the Pharaoh and the Egyptians. In Exodus 15, they begin singing to the Lord, praising him and glorifying him for the deliverance he gave them out of Egypt. I think David was relating to this moment in Psalm 32 because for the Israelites at his time, during the time of David, um, who were the first listeners to this psalm, just as the Israelites from Exodus sang to the Lord for deliverance, God himself sings over his people who come to him for protection. 
Now, the whole point of verse 6 and 7 and with those two phrases is that God is our protector. Not only that, he enjoys doing so. He wants us to come to him and ask for shelter, for safety from whatever might be after us. As I said before, that could be people who get after you. That could mean situations that lead to despair or even temptation to fall into a sin. Do you need to hear this today? Are you at a point where you feel like you have no hope? Because I'm here to tell you, God is the hope. He is with you through whatever struggle you might be facing. Or maybe you think you're already secure. You're good. I already have safety. But you're starting to realize that what you put your safety in are things that just don't stand. Things that fall easily under pressure. This could be material things that you own, such as the next technological device or the nicest house or the nicest car. It could be in pastimes that you enjoy to do, such as watching sports games, going out into the woods, or even your job. Or maybe you're putting your uh, safety in other people. While it's good to put trust into other people, you need to remember We are all people, and we are not perfect. We all fall to sin at times in our life, and that person that you put all your trust in will fail you. So these verses right here is a call back to trusting God, that he is our first and foremost one that we call our hope and Savior. And if we are to trust in God, does it end there? Do we just say, God, you are my refuge Thank you for that, and move on? Surely not. Because if we truly trust the Lord, then we are to do what he asks, which leads us to point three of our points of application. Follow the Lord. Follow the Lord. Normally, if we follow someone, it's because we trust that person and we trust what he or she might say. And we can feel safe knowing that what God says is not only trustworthy, but is wise as what is best for us. And there is an example of this wisdom from God in verses 8 and 9 of Psalm 32. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Now, do these two verses sound a little bit different from the rest of what we read today in Psalm 32? I would hope your answer to that is yes. Because while this is still David writing, we get a different speaker. And who is this new speaker that we have relaying these words of wisdom to us? It is God himself. What's great about that is that we receive instruction from the best source there could ever be on what to do. The one who created the universe is now speaking to the Israelites and even to us. So we see in verse 9, there's this example of a horse or a mule that needs to be controlled by a bit or a bridle. If you have much experience with horses, you know that the bit is a piece that goes into the horse's mouth And the bridle is the rest of the headset that includes the reins. 
Now, to be honest, I'm not a horse expert. I had to look this up, so if any of this is wrong, I apologize. But whenever you have a horse or a mule with a bit and bridle, they have to do whatever the rider commands them to. But what do we know about mules? The first thing that we hear about mules, they're stubborn, right? So they often give resistance to whatever the rider wants them to do, and it leads to the horse or the mule being very uncomfortable. Those of you who have horses, you understand this very well. Yet the work that the rider wants to get done is done. Compare this with a well-trained horse that doesn't need a bitter bridle to obey the rider's commands. And the work is done with less stress and oftentimes is on faster time. Now, this is an example with a horse or a mule. Some of you might uh, really relate to this, but there's an other example that we can use in our own life, something that many of us might relate to, and that is learning how to drive. How many of you remember back to whenever you learned how to drive, how stressful of a moment that is? I know for me, whenever I first got behind the wheel, I thought I knew it all. I was like, I'm ready to go. You put the key in, you turn it, you head off. I'm good. I don't need instruction. I got this. How wrong was I? Parents who already have experience teaching your kids how to drive. How many of you wish you had a bit and bridle for your kid? I'll make it a lot easier. But for me, um, I thought I had it all under control. I knew what to do. My parents, they had a stressful time in teaching me how to drive because they would give me instructions. i say, yeah, I know, I know. I got this. I know, I know. It would have helped me so much more if I listened to them about learning to come to a complete stop at a stop sign then I wouldn't have had to take my driver's test twice. <laughs> and the reason why behind that is I was stubborn. I was set in my own way. And that's exactly what's going on with this horse and mule. And the concept goes on to our own life with God. God's will is going to be done no matter our response to it. But our own peace, our own response and feelings are going to change. If we resist God's command and follow our own path, God's work will still be done. But we are going to have a very difficult time during that. And it could lead to disaster in our own lives if we don't trust in him. But what God is telling us here in Psalm 32 is that if we are willing to let God work in and through us, we will have much more rest in following him. And we will experience joy through his work. With these words being directly from God in Psalm 32, it means he's saying to this to us as well. God is giving these directions of wisdom to us today here at Lance Free Church. So, do you need to hear these words this morning? Have you been resisting God's commands in your life? If so, just listen again to what he says in this verse. And think of what needs to change in your life. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Did you get that last part? Did you hear what that said? Isn't that great news? 
Isn't that a great thing to hear? That the Lord's love surrounds those who trust in him. You know what this is? This is blessings. This is a blessing right here in in verse 10. If you see back, verses 6 and 7 themselves were blessings. This protection that he gives us. And even the verse 5 with this forgiving of sins, that is a blessing. And this is why being considered blessed is something we want. A person who is blessed is forgiven of all sins and has safety in the Lord, the one who created everything. And the person who is blessed follows the highest form of wisdom that comes from the creator of wisdom. Doesn't this all sound good? Forgiveness, protection, and wisdom are all words that are thought of as good things. But this psalm was written a long time ago, wasn't it? Do these things still exist for us today? Many of you already know the answer to that. Not only do these things remain true for us, but they are given in full to us. If this was a truth for the time of David, how much greater of a truth is it for us on the other side of the cross? And many of you might have had bells going off in your head with the concept of confessing your sins. It is a huge part in how we receive salvation, with salvation being accepted, not earned, by believing or having faith in Jesus Christ and repenting of our sins, which in itself involves confession. This is made clear by Romans 10, verses 8 and 9, when it says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Isn't that wonderful? Now, in two weeks, less than two weeks, where are we going to be having here? Good news cruise, right? Uh, You heard Keith mention that this morning. And it's easy to be excited for that. I know I am very excited for that moment. But we need to remember why we should be excited about that. And that is because we get to tell of this good news. Now, the good news isn't that we have really cool cars here that day or that we have free food for everyone who comes out or that even we want to build friendships with all the people who attend. All those things are true and good. But the good news that we are so enthusiastic about is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might be thinking right now, well, why is he talking about the cruise and the gospel during a sermon on Psalm 32? And the reason behind that is that Psalm 32 does what all Scripture does. It points to the gospel. I think Specifically in the outside world of the church, there are many misconceptions to what the gospel actually is. The gospel is not a genre of music. That's gospel. And that music genre should be an expression of gratitude towards the gospel. It's not even the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the gospels. Those are a key part in the gospel, but they are not the gospel. The gospel is is the entire story of the Bible is our history from beginning to end, and it all centers on Jesus Christ. 
See, it all begins back in the book of Genesis. We see that God created everything. He created the stars, the sky, the earth, the oceans, the animals, and he created us. He created us in his own image to be reflections of him. And we see in Genesis that he walks with Adam and Eve. He has that great of a relationship that he is walking with them and talking with them every day. But if you know the story, you know things change in Genesis 3. We get this idea of sin that comes into the world. It began with Adam and Eve when they disobeyed against God. Sin entered the world. And it's through this sin that we were separated from God. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. And this is where we get the idea of this curse. If you were here last week, you remember Pastor Matt talking about a curse. And that curse is because of that price of sin, because sin entered the world, those who sin deserve death. We see that in Romans. But there is a hope. And we see that through the entire Old Testament with these stories of prophets and kings and the Israelites themselves. We see God has chosen his own people for him. These people to have a relationship with him. That's what the entire Old Testament is about. And we get these miraculous stories of these people serving the Lord faithfully, such as beginning with Abraham and his faith that he had, going from Isaac to Jacob. And we get other stories, such as Moses and him leading the Israelites to the promised land. And all these stories are great, right? And they are true. But there's always a time where they would fall short. There's always a moment in each of these men and women's lives that they would fall short of God's glory. And the reason why is because they are people and there is sin in this world. We cannot escape sin on our own. But God has a plan. We see through the entire Old Testament that God's plan is being established more and more revealed to us, such as in books as Isaiah, that we get this idea of a Messiah who's going to save us all. It's a miraculous thing that the Israelites, God's people, look forward to. It came to fulfillment in Jesus' life. The book of John explains it greatly as to who Jesus is when it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh. If you are familiar with the Old Testament, this is a miraculous statement because the Israelites, all they needed to survive, to get through, is word from God. And here it is, God's word becoming flesh, dwelling among us. And we see this through Jesus' life. He begins his ministry of three years, preaching about this new kingdom that is to come, about salvation that is to, that is to come. And it's miraculous as a change to the system because God's plan is at work. God's plan came into fulfillment on that day when Jesus died on the cross, when he was crucified, not because he was guilty of any wrong, but because he took our place. See, we all deserve to be on that cross. We all deserve death because we all sin in our life. Yet Jesus took it all for us. He died in our place. And it could have just ended there. 
It could have ended with him taking away all sin. That's it. We're gone once we're dead. But there is even more. He gave us grace. He gave us everlasting life if we are to believe in him and what he has done on the cross. And this is marvelous news that came to fulfillment whenever Jesus rose from the dead three days later. He rose triumphant over death and had the keys of death in Hades. He was triumphant. God has already won. If anybody is trying to tell you in this world that God isn't real, that God's plan uh, isn't in fulfillment, it is wrong. God has already won by Jesus on the cross, by him raising again. Now Jesus spent 40 days after his resurrection uh, coming to his disciples, preaching of what is to come next, telling them that I am to go away, but a helper is to come. The helper is the Holy Spirit. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you have the Holy Spirit in you. This is a miraculous thing that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us if we believe in him. It was after those 40 days that Jesus ascended up into heaven, not to stay up in the clouds far away that we can never be close to him again, but to prepare a place for us. He says to himself, right now, Jesus is at the right hand of God's throne, interceding for us, saying, you know that sin that person is committing. You know how they always fall short. I paid for it. I paid for it all. And one beautiful day, he is coming back. Jesus is going to return for his church, for those who trust in him, who turn away from their sin and want to follow after him. He will come back for us and establish his reign with a new heaven and a new earth. That is the gospel. That is what our hope should be in. That is what all of Scripture points to this miraculous story that is true, that Jesus took our place. And this is where our excitement should come from. This is what should motivate us through times of struggle. The fact that no matter what we face, God already paid for it. God paid for it on the cross with his son, Jesus Christ. And we have freedom in him. Do you see how wonderful this is? That the entire Bible, that everything points to what Jesus has done and he did it for us. That we can confess our sins to the Lord because Jesus has already paid for them on the cross. That we can take refuge in the Lord because he cares so much for us that he sent his only son to die in our place. We follow the Lord because he is worthy of it and that Jesus paid the price required to even start following the Lord. So what can we do in response to this? To this monumental news, how are we to react? How can we express anything back to God, the same God who has done so much for us? Well, that leads us to our last point, and it is rejoice in the Lord. We are to rejoice in the Lord. And the last verse of Psalm 32 ties us up greatly, not only the rest of Psalm 32, but the gospel and how our reaction should be. It says, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. 
this is wonderful news, and we are to rejoice about it. And we are to rejoice in our entire life of this news. One way is to tell everyone of this news. Um, One example of what it means to tell the story of Jesus, and I got this from a guy sitting in the back row, you can thank him for that, that picture someone who gets hit by a truck, a big semi-truck. You would go to their hospital room, and would you see them perfectly fine, looking like they weren't in an accident at all? Of course not. They were hit by something humongous, something that great, and they're going to be evidence of that. And that's what our life is with the gospel. If you encounter this gospel, your life is never the same because you know that Jesus already paid for it. And his wonderful news hits you so hard. And what are we to do about this? We are to tell everyone about this. To tell about this good news, the reason why we have so much joy in our life, what our hope is in, and that's in Jesus Christ alone. And what we're going to do next is another example of how we can rejoice. Pastor Matt will come back up, and he's going to explain communion more after I end in prayer. But the act of communion is an act of rejoicing. It is acknowledging what Jesus has done for us on the cross and an outward showing of our gratitude for it. But I do want to say something first. If you view communion as just a thing you do every first Sunday of the month or whenever you might do communion on your own, if you view it as something you have to do or that you want to do, I would recommend letting the plates pass you by. There's nothing wrong in letting it pass you by, but to take that time to reconsider your relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you following after him? Is your faith fully in him? And I would pray that all of our motivations behind communion would be to remember and rejoice in what our Lord Jesus Christ has done. And to leave here remembering to confess our sins to the Lord, to take refuge in the Lord, making him our only refuge to follow the Lord to wherever or whatever he calls you to do in your life and to rejoice in the Lord for all that he has done and all that he is.